This is a Word, a podcast from Slate. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. It's a classic American story. An ordinary citizen fed up with a failing government runs for office and they win. But for Patrick Braxton, the mayor of New Bern, Alabama, winning the race was just the start of his fight. He had been denied access to the town's post office box, bank accounts, financial records. He even said that it got to the point that he had been followed by a drone. The hazards of leading while Black in rural America, coming up on A Word with me, Jason Johnson. Stay with us. Welcome to A Word, a podcast about race and politics and everything else. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. In a small southern town, a black man sees his community suffer and decides he must do something about it. He runs for mayor and wins. The only problem is that the town's white leadership won't even let him serve. They scheme to invalidate the election. They literally refuse to turn over keys to City Hall. And they threaten him and his supporters. Now, I know this sounds like the plot of some 1960s movie with Sidney Poitier, where he'd have some white savior friend, and in the end, they would win over everybody and sing Kumbaya. But this isn't a 1960s story. This is happening right now to Patrick Braxton and the citizens of New Bern, Alabama. And they don't know how their story is going to end. In fact, many Black elected leaders in rural communities face challenges to their legitimacy from entrenched white power structures. And often, they and the citizens they represent are fighting for their rights with little or no support. Joining us now to talk more about it is Aaliyah Wright. She's a reporter for Capital B, a Black-led, nonprofit, local, and national news organization. Aaliyah Wright, welcome to A Word. Thanks for having me. This story is is crazy to me, and I've been paying attention to this and following it for a while. Why did Patrick Braxton decide to run for mayor in 2020? And like, what kind of response was he getting from people during the campaign in the town of Newburgh? A number of things happened that contributed to his decision to want to run for mayor. One, over the years, he, along with other residents, had asked the majority white council to, you know, host activities for folks in the town, to hang up flags around town in celebration of holidays, simple things like that, that just didn't happen so when the pandemic happened and the federal government sent Newburn, you know, funds to mitigate the risk for, you know, residents to not contract the virus, instead of the council distributing, you know, mask hygiene items to residents, they didn't do that. So Patrick had to travel to a neighboring town just to get supplies and food because of the lack of response by the majority white council. And so at that point, he decided that he was fed up and he wanted to run for mayor to, you know, see some sort of change because nothing was happening. Just for context here, about how big is is New Bern? And, and you say it's a black majority city. What is the, the black percentage of, of the voting population? So New Bern, Alabama is super small. It's about a square mile long and it's a town fewer than 300 people. And it's yeah, predominantly black, about 80 percent of you know black folks in the town. And it's interesting when you mention voting, no one, as long as they can remember, could ever recall an election being had in that town. And when speaking with residents, 
when I asked them, so how did you know someone was mayor or how many mayors could you recall? Um, some folks only could recall two mayors previous to the acting mayor, Haywood Woody Stokes, who um, was in office when Patrick Braxton decided to run. But they also said, oh, you would just ask around and people would be like, hey, such and such is the mayor now. Um, and that was one of the, I think, most significant things that struck me as I, you know, dug into this reporting is that no one can ever recall an election being had. So these people don't remember having elections. They've always had a white mayor in a town of only 300 people where 80 percent of the population is black. So when Patrick Braxton, when he wins and becomes mayor, how did the white leadership in the town respond? Was it was the city council angry with him? Did the previous mayor say bad things about him? Like, what was the immediate response of white leadership when that last ballot was counted? You know, it's interesting because Patrick Braxton became mayor because he was the only one to submit the qualifying paperwork for candidacy. So none of the previous white leaders, um, and also I should note that there's also one black woman who served on the council of that white leadership too. None of those folks had filed any of the information. And so by that deadline, Patrick Braxton, because he was the only one, he became the mayor. And it was shortly after that in July of uh, 2020 that the previous white leadership had allegedly secretly held a meeting where they passed a resolution to conduct um, a special election in October. By then, they had submitted their qualifying information for candidacy. And because no one else knew about it, they then reappointed themselves to the town council. So while, you know, I, I didn't get a chance to hear about the conversations between Patrick Braxton and Woody Stokes or any of the other previous council members, but, you know, this action shows that they did not want him to become mayor. These people held a secret election, reelected themselves as a city council, what kinds of things structurally did they do to stop Braxton from doing his job? So that same year, um, later in that year, after Patrick Braxton selected his town council members and held his first meeting in the town hall, after that, he says the previous white mayor locked, changed the locks to the town hall so he could not have access to the building. Um, and after that, Braxton, Mayor Braxton was able to get the locks changed. But even after that, the, the previous mayor came back to change the locks again. Um, Patrick Braxton, he's also a volunteer firefighter. So he had also been locked out of the fire department. He said that he had fought fires alone. He had been denied access to the town's post office box, bank accounts, financial records. He even said that it got to the point that he had been followed by a drone. He had almost been ran off the road. Even, you know, one of the community activists, Laquina Lewis, who's based in Selma, but does food distribution work in New Bern. She even received hate mail um, that included death threats and also drawings of her and Braxton being lynched. So although they don't know who committed some of these acts in terms of, you know, the letters or also, you know, who had control of the drone. But these are the things that they've been experiencing. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, more on how democracy is being thwarted in rural Black communities. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. This is Jason Johnson, host of A Word, Slate's podcast about race and politics 
and everything else. I want to take a moment to welcome our new listeners. If you've discovered a word and like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And let us know what you think by writing us at a word at slate.com. Thank you. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking about the systematic attacks on rural black politicians with Aaliyah Wright of Capital B News. So beyond Mayor Braxton, you've discovered other stories of black elected officials who've been kept from doing their jobs. What are some other examples out there? Yeah, I I first want to say, you know, this instance that has been happening in New Bern, political experts have told me that this particular case is rare, but the tactics when it comes to suppressing Black power, you know, are common, even dating back to the Reconstruction era when Black men were, you know, elected to Congress and state legislatures, you know, white Southerners use violence, voter suppression tactics, everything they could to stop Black political progress. So this is something we know that is ingrained in the fabric of America. But one of the cases that I did discover in doing this reporting was a case out of Camilla, Georgia, back in 2015. A Black mayor, Rufus Davis, he had accused the white city manager of keeping him from carrying out his mayor duties. The city council at that time even voted to deny him uh, the keys to City Hall. There's countless examples from uh, an individual standpoint as well as a state standpoint in trying to use these different forms of intimidation, but also an attempt for white political leaders to continue to hold on to power. So, Aaliyah, you know, most of our conversation, we've been talking about rural black mayors and the small towns and the resistance that they're facing from white folks. But we've seen recently that there's almost a general hostility to black elected officials. We've seen two black Tennessee lawmakers expelled from their jobs. I mean, they're both back in office. Um, We've seen the mayor of Jackson, Mississippi, deal with being undercut by the governor and the rest of the state's white power structure. You look at the mayor of St. Louis, a black woman, where suddenly standard practices that the mayor is allowed to do with the budget and hiring and firing, suddenly the white city council members have a problem with it. How often do you think this is just the resistance of somebody new coming into office versus just sort of structural racism. Because, you know, some people could argue, hey, it's political. You won. The opposing party runs city council. We don't like you. How much of this do you think is just straight racism? Um, That's a great question. I think just speaking with a, a number of my sources, when you think about white flight and the lack of disinvestment in these communities and the years of neglect you can't help but to think and point to the systemic racism. Even when Mayor Lumumba in Jackson for years, uh, you know, as an, as an example, he's asked for state and federal assistance to fix a number of those city infrastructure issues. But he's been met with, you know, a lack of response or no response. Just even this year, Republican Governor Tate Reeves of Mississippi in his budget bill, he vetoed 15 line items with the majority of those earmarked to Jackson. Um, When it came to the police department, Jackson Police Department, who that department is black led and they've been having challenges with staffing, you know, asking for assistance to help recruit and retain some of those folks. Instead of helping that department, Governor Tate Reeves increased the budget for a white led capital police. It's several examples when we think about 
the water crisis that Jackson has, you know, been experiencing over the last few years. The governor even, you know, publicly declared that the city should look to collect funds from the customers rather than, you know, relying on state and federal aid. It seems that the federal government has to step in in order to see some sort of change. One of the things that we notice is that while New Bern is a majority black town, increasingly many small majority black towns and even some major cities are becoming less black because of gentrification, because of housing prices, because of COVID. I'm curious from from what you've been reading and researching, looking at these towns, do you think that if any of these major cities start getting white mayors, do you think there will be a substantive change in how a white mayor, as opposed to a black one, would be able to address constituent concerns? Or do you really think a lot of this resistance to black political power is is just race? Because if the black mayor says, hey, we need to do something about the water supply, and the governor's like, ah, too bad, I don't want to listen to you. If a white man in that position made the same request, do you think it gets done? Or do you think it's just a general hostility towards cities? That's an interesting question. And I didn't, you know, I haven't gotten a chance to fully explore that um, in my reporting. But those are concerns, but also questions that have been brought up by residents in some of these towns. Um, You know, they've said or mentioned, you know, what if we look at the town over that has, you know, a black mayor, I mean, not a black mayor, excuse me, a white mayor, but maybe, you know, the population is more diverse. You may have, you know, half white, half black, but you don't see some of these issues happening there. So I think that will, you know, that's something that definitely needs to be explored more, especially given, you know, what is continuing to happen in 2023. What's the role of violence or the threat of violence um, in New Bern and some of these places? Are they getting a lot of death threats? Do they come home and find, you know, nooses in their garages or bricks being thrown through their front doors? Where is violence playing out in some of this resistance to these black elected officials? I think folks are trying to use more of, you know, the law, um, you know, use their power in these positions of leadership uh, to try to find ways to, uh, you know, diminish the authority or diminish the voting power of a lot of these Black folks in the town. So while I can't say, you know, it's not happening, which I'm pretty sure it is, um, I just haven't seen as many cases of, you know, the outright violence happening. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, more about the fight facing Black political leaders in rural America. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking with Aaliyah Wright. So let's turn back to, to Mayor Braxton's story. Has his situation changed since you reported on it? I mean, did he finally get a key to get into his office? Have the white city council members who got elected in a secret election, have they said, all right, we're going to open it up? Like, what's changed in that situation since you first reported on it? Yes. So I think one of the biggest changes that has happened is just the simple fact that there is more awareness about what's going on and what has happened to him and, 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 you know, other folks in the town. And so now he has a stable lawyer. So I think that's one of the things, um, you know, that has changed. But also 
the fact that they're receiving a lot of support. People are donating to alabamalove.org, which is um, the nonprofit Laquina is running so they can do voter education and, and registration ahead of the next election cycle. Um, I don't think he has access <laughs> to the town hall again. And, you know, I wish I could have spoken to the, you know, white council members about, the, you know, their perspective and, and why of all of this. But even when I reached out to their attorney, they refused to speak to me. But I know they had been trying to reach out to, you know, organizations such as the NAACP, SPLC, and they hadn't heard from them. So I'm not sure if there's been any movement on that front either. These stories are now in the national news. They're getting covered on 24-hour cable networks. They're getting occasional write-ups and major sort of legacy newspapers and anything else like that. Have any organizations stepped up? Has the Congressional Black Caucus gotten involved with what's happening in New Bern? Have, uh, you know, retired elected officials, have any celebrities got involved? Like, what kinds of people are stepping in? And, I, and I'm thinking to myself, who, who else has stepped into this fight um, now that it has become more of a national story? I have not heard from Patrick Braxton, Laquino, or any folks on the ground as to whether the Justice Department has stepped in or the Congressional Black Caucus or, you know, any folks on the federal level. Also, I mean, I know previously they reached out to uh, Senator Bobby Singleton, who is their state representative, and he hadn't responded to them. I also reached out to him personally, hadn't heard back. Um, I even reached out to the governor to, to see whether um, she had heard um, Governor Kay Ivey or could, you know, present a statement. I hadn't heard back from her as well. So um, from what I know right now, they haven't heard from anyone on those levels or had that type of support um, at this point. You know, I, I always like to end the show on either a note of hope, something optimistic we can think about with this situation, uh, or a call to action. And this is a pretty it's a frustrating and, and pervasive problem. If somebody's listening to the show right now, and this is the first time they've heard about Newburn, or they caught a piece of it, you know, on 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 a news report somewhere, and they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is still going on. I can't believe this guy still can't get in his office, even though he was elected. What can people on the outside do? Um, I mean, can they can they call in? Is there a fund that helps the citizens here? Or more than that, if you're in a city where this is happening, if you're in a city where you have a black mayor getting elected and the city council is majority white and they're just being stymied, what are some suggestions? What can people do after hearing the story? Yes. So uh, Mayor Braxton does have a GoFundMe. Um, I mentioned, you know, AlabamaLove.org, where they're raising money for, you know, those education initiatives. I know they're also raising money for youth programming in New Bern, also more food distribution um, sites there. Um, they also want people to just flood the phones, the emails for, you know, representatives in Alabama, as well as federal officials. Officials, also civil rights groups and organizations. But I would say, you know, in rural America, these stories often go unheard because it doesn't fit the narrative of white and conservative, which is why, you know, now more than ever, we need folks to speak up and speak out. So if you hear something or see something happening in your neck of the woods, share the story, amplify what's happening. Don't be afraid to reach out to a local journalist that you trust and be sure, again, not only to contact representatives in Alabama, but also in your state as well. 
Don't just see about it, be about it. Aaliyah Wright is a reporter for Capital B News. Thank you so much for talking to us today on A Word. Thanks for having me. And that's A Word for this week. The show's email is awordatslate.com. This episode was produced by Christy Taiwo Macanjula. Ben Richmond is Slate's Senior Director of Podcast Operations. Alicia Montgomery is the Vice President of Slate Audio. Our theme music was produced by Don Will. I'm Jason Johnson. Tune in next week for Word. Word.